Kelsey. Hey, Brooke. Want to tell everyone what's happening in today's episode? Today, we are going to talk about the most taboo subject of all. Yes. Uh, okay, let's go. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Remedial Her Story, the other 50%, the podcast that explores what happened to the women in history class. Now, here's your host, Kelsey Brooke Eckert, and her partner in crime, Brooke Neva Sullivan. Episode 37, Taboo Equals Menstruation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, sure. Mm-hmm. first thing we have to do is we need to acknowledge how taboo this topic is. And uh, I'm... Taboo for who? Taboo for who, I think, is a bigger question. But I'm sure there are some listeners out there that are rolling their eyes like... I know, we already lost six people. Yeah, they heard (laughs) the title of this episode or saw it and they said, nope, not for me. No, keep your crimson tide to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And to those people, I say, I hear ya. Um, Wow. Well, because I think there are a lot of people that are frust- who would be allies, happy to support women's rights and, and all of those things, um, but are like, God, do you have to talk about bodily fluids and bathroom visits and that type of thing? Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of our lives and the fact that we have to hide it or feel shame. Yeah, a real problem for me. But I do think that the universe exists right now, that there is definitely a population of people that don't enjoy talking about menstruation and are all also really uncomfortable by it. I think there's a handful of men I've met in my lifetime that are comfortable talking about periods. Um, one of them is my husband, but it's because he's a sex ed teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other, you know, had a lot of sisters. And so just was like, yeah, my house is a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that there probably are some women out there, though, too, that are, like, uncomfortable talking about Oh, my about gosh. I well. still have friends that hide their tampons in their sleeve when they go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and to them, I say, you know, everyone's level of comfort is different. And there probably are women listening to this podcast that maybe do that, so I don't want to alienate them. But I, I guess I get the stigma, and I hope that the generations behind us are not going to be as burdened by those things yeah um and while I agree I think that it is taboo and it should not be a burden it should not be a stigma it should not be something that girls worry about it shouldn't be something that when you go to the grocery store you like are embarrassed when you have a male male cashier who's like checking out your tampons or whatever Um, but at the same time I think to to give some recognition and and honesty there really are like you wouldn't publicly talk about bowel movements or you wouldn't talk like people there are things that happen in bathrooms that are taboo that are not taboo because of sexism they're just you just don't talk about that stuff and yeah, because it's more inappropriate for conversation. Yeah, it's inappropriate for conversation. And so for some reason, talking about menstruation has become like a feminist issue. But it, 
to, in their eyes, they see it as basically the same thing that you're, you're talking mm-hmm. about these things that happen in the bathroom, etc. And so to those people, I think what they need to understand is what we're going to get into in this episode, which okay. is the history of that stigma and just oh. how stigmatized menstruation was to the extent where women are completely ostracized from their normal life during that time period of their life. And, um, or in that, that portion of, you know, every month. And yeah. I mean, if you work it out, it's 12 weeks a year. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, uh, less than maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, I feel like if, if you can acknowledge that it makes people uncomfortable, then it might make it e- easier for people to understand where you're coming from. That like, okay, we're not going to talk about it in a way that is just like blood everywhere. <laughs> you know, like that just Can makes... we though? That sounds fun. <laughs> like a murder scene. Um, but we, so, and I understand that. I understand that. And there are, but if you think about it this way, like if you cut your arm and you were bleeding, you wouldn't have any problem being like, guys, I I'm bleeding. Like, could somebody <laughs> please give me a bandage? In fact, like, if you didn't so, help yeah, in that situation, like, you're the jerk, you know? But also, to not call attention to it, you're also crazy. Right. <laughs> like, guys, and, my arm is bleeding. Right. No, it's not. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm yeah, just, like, look I'm away. Shame. Can you slowly hand yeah. me a bandage and under course, the table? Of course, the obvious difference is that if you cut your arm and it's bleeding a lot, like that's probably an emergency. Whereas if you're menstruating, it's not an emergency. Like right. you're fine. You just need to go like Which, clean when up. you first get your period and don't know that because no one talks about those things. A that's lot of girls ter- they think they're dying. are terrified and think they're dying. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. So so there, there certainly is a difference, yeah. but you still need support. You, especially young girls, need to know that like it's okay. You're not yeah. dying. Also, like, you know, I think there's a weird line where some girls treat this as like, "Yay, I'm a woman now," and then other girls like me are. When I that happened to me for the first time, I was mortified. I was like, "Oh my god, my life! What is happening? I'm a woman <laughs> now." Oh, you know. <laughs> And like your your mom didn't make a moon celebration oh my for God. it. Vito did yours. <laughs> no, thankfully, but she definitely didn't make me feel shame about that's it either. Good. Um, that's good. Yeah, no, but I I you know talking to girlfriends about this scenario, a lot of people have different experiences, and I always kind of felt bad. I grew up with a good friend of mine, and and her mom was not in her life. Mm. And so it was her dad, and having to talk about menstruation with her father was incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. And, um, but it also, I think, helps her now as a parent realize that, like, there's going to be things that her own children are not going to want to speak with her about. And it's nice to have some diversity of, of people mm-hmm. to support your children. Yeah. <laughs> so that if they're uncomfortable talking to you, then they can go to someone else. Totally. Totally. And, and as a teacher, I always want to be that person that any kid can feel like they can come in and be like, <laughs> So my period, you know, just great. Like that's, that's awesome. That's why I'm here. Um, and I do want to just take a quick moment to just acknowledge that like not all women have periods and that's totally fine. And it doesn't make you less of a woman or anything. And, um, but I think the reality is, is that the stigmatization around menstruation 
impacts anybody who presents as female. Yeah. And so all of the stereotypes and stigma that, that, you know, women who menstruate or people who menstruate, we shouldn't even say women really deal with is, is coming from all of this history that we're about to get into related to menstruation. And the title of this episode is taboo is menstruation. And the reason for that is the word taboo actually is Polynesian and it comes from the Polynesian term tapu, which means sacred. Mm. And it also means menstrual flow. Interesting. So the word taboo is literally the original, or menstruation is literally the original taboo. Weird. Right? Just so fascinating that it like... It stems back that far to the, yeah. the origin of the word. Yeah. My father-in-law used the term um, taboo this weekend, and I was like... Just so everybody knows, <laughs> that means menstrual flow. He just said it. Glad we're all on the same page. You must be a firecracker at dinner parties. No, my family just They're rolls probably their like, eyes at me. Great, Kelsey's here. I wonder what we'll learn about today. Oh my god, I was playing a Hopefully game. Hopefully tampons. I was playing a game with my sister, and um, I, I gave her a clue, and the clue was crusades, and she was like, I don't know that. <laughs> You're uh, like, but I do. But I do, and it would be awesome if you did too, because we'd win this game. <laughs> Turns out, could you be smarter about this? Thank you. Oh my gosh. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, she's amazing. Anyway, so let's uh, get into talking about menstruation. Yeah, all and right. the history there. Give me the original woman who menstruated. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I don't know if we go who there. Who was the first to publish it? <laughs> Homo sapiens, <laughs> right now. Okay. So, um, from the earliest records that we have back to like 3000 BC to like 5th century BC, um, we know that people treated menstruation. And so, the, the way we know that is just from artifacts that remain, right? Or records that are. find the original pad. So, no, the original <laughs> tampon, the ancient Greeks actually made tampons out of what? softened papyrus. What's a papyrus? You know, like the papyrus scrolls that the that the uh, Egyptians would write. Don't on. say you know. Like, I, <laughs> I'm now I feel like your Wasn't sister. A- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, Kelsey. Okay, okay. I feel like this was kind of foundational in learning about the Greeks, where they they created some of the first paper, and it's this oh, papyrus yes. paper. Okay, and um, and so it's funny because we we teach at least maybe we don't remember about papyrus but then to also know that that same technology is being used to help women treat menstruation it's a lot of labor aren't isn't that really hard to make it is and yet it's <laughs> worth sacrificing what did you say 12 weeks out of the year <laughs> that's, that's, yeah that's what it equates to yeah although actually we should we should acknowledge that Women in those eras that were fertile would not have menstruated as frequently as women do today because they would have been pregnant mm, yeah. or breastfeeding much more frequently. Well, that and or in crisis too and like stress on the body. Yep. 
Like if you're moving or migrant, um, yep. you're probably not. Well, by three thousand BC, they're not migrant anymore. These okay. are settled peoples, infertile crescents around the world. But you're right; their life is definitely more stressful in yeah. terms of like food insecurities and, um, you know, like raids and war and like, yeah, their life is definitely hard. Well, they <laughs> so, have to use papyrus. Yeah, because papyrus is your, your papyrus. greatest technology. <laughs> this is going to be my reasoning for everything else. Well, because papyrus. Because of papyrus. <laughs> we are here. Um, they also think, and this is true through other centuries, that they used sea sponges. And this is actually like... <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I'm like a 12-year-old in this whole episode. Sea sponges? Yeah, sponges from the ocean. Okay. Right? Like, it's like a thing that floats around. I don't know. Was that an old form of um, birth control sponges? Yes. Yeah. They would, like, they'd use it like a douche. Yeah. (laughs) The worst. This is the The word. The word douche is the worst. It's hard for me. Oh, okay. It makes me giggle. Okay. I'll hold back. You along with our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So, from the 5th century to about the 15th century, Mm We have women using basically early makeshift pads. And I would, um, this would be something that would be, it's not like, not mass produced pads like what we have today. This would be like cloth or, um, you know, some like something that they are able to like pull together from everyday household items that, that, that they have. Um, and it might be something that like your mother teaches you about and you, you know, you learn from her how to do it or whatever, but it's all like within the home and it's makeshift. Also keep in mind though, that like, like your clothing that you wear is probably like made by the women in your household. Yeah. So that's not like, it's, it makes sense that women would just like solve this problem on their own and like resolve but they also keep track of each other's cycles too yeah that was a big thing that other women would help each other with like you know it's been a full moon since your last bleeding might be pregnant right and it's like oh really i'm really glad that you know that about me yeah (laughs) single and not married this is a problem this is problematic (laughs) yeah so It's also during this time, the 5th to the 15th century is what we call like the Middle Ages in history. Mm -hmm. And um, in Europe in particular, this is kind of like a dark period. Rome has (laughs) collapsed. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's very dark. It's very dark. Not literally dark, (laughs) but it's dark in terms of intellectualism. Well, and actually, when I teach world history, I have my kids debate that, how dark this period actually was. Um, Okay. Because... Like, what do you give them as... There's... It, there's evidence that there are growing universities um, th- okay. throughout Europe. There's, you know, there's there's growing different forms of art that are popping up. Um, you know, the the church is. We, we already talked on a previous episode about nunneries and right, all right, the scholarship right. that's. It's religious scholarship, but it's still scholarship. And there's some really interesting ideas and philosophies that come out of those religious scholars. So there is a lot there that I would argue is foundational to the later Renaissance and Protestant Reformation and, gotcha. and all of that. Um, so I think it's worth it's worth a debate with your with your students looking at some of that evidence. Um, but in this. We'll use the Dark Ages just as a 
or Middle Ages, just as like a reference point in time. During this time, uh, historians sort of point to, and and it's hard to know prior to that time, just because mm-hmm. people, again, it's taboo. People don't talk about right. menstruation. So it's not like pressing in all of the male historians' records. Like, And also, this is how women are dealing with this <laughs> stuff. Because first of all, they're not thinking about that. Second of all, they don't know how they're dealing with it because women aren't going to tell them how they're dealing with it. I know. I Do you think this is still the age where men really don't understand contraception and like childbirth of how that all comes together? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they definitely know how it works, um, but there are definitely misperceptions about, I mean, specifically things like DNA, about, like, which person determines the gender of the baby. Like, there are lots of things that are still not really known. Um, So what's really hard about looking at what is written about menstruation is just how much hostile misogyny is written in about women related to menstruation. And um, so here's a quote. Um, It it all, I mean, and the thing is, it all has to do with, with blood. So here's a quote from this time periods. A woman in her courses, the female body made her not simply less than human, but worse than animal. Of all human substances, blood is the most highly charged with power and danger. See the dietary prohibitions against eating blood in force from Jews to Sioux to Hindus. Menstruation is mysterious blood, dangerous, unclean, and threatening. And it goes on, it says, a menstruous woman is the work of Yurhaman the devil. A woman in her courses is not to graze upon sacred fire, sit in water, behold the sun, or hold conversation with a man. (laughs) I really can't. Who comes up with this stuff? She cannot behold the sun. She can't even see the sun when she's menstruating. Like, just hide away in in your hobby hole. Yes. Yep. One of the things about it, too, is, like, there's this theme, and you hear it at the end of that quote, hold conversation with a man. Like, somehow her dirtiness will get you if you're around her while she's (laughs) menstruating. I wish men were still afraid of us when we were menstruating. You do? (laughs) Maybe not to that extent, but, like, I don't even know. It's so, that's so crazy. In Papua New Guinea, when a girl began to menstruate, they put her in a hut for a whole week, and they deprived her there of food. What? And they thought that because, I mean, because of, like, hormones or something, they thought that women were dangerous to themselves. And so, um, and... So, so they, you know, they do these things to try to, like, protect women from the devil in them or something like that. Interesting. And... I guess putting them in a solo hut is one way to do it. (laughs) Um, It's just, it is, so in 1565, um, hang on, sorry, let me find this. In 1565, uh, in Leviticus, there's... No, wait, that can't be right. Sacred law book. Okay. In Judaism, there's uh, a 
law book that's written in 1565. And in that book, it says that um, women in this unclean state were forbidden to uh, sleep in the same bed as her husband, eat with her family at mealtimes, occupy the same room as anyone else, light the Sabbath candles, enter the synagogue, touch her husband, or even pass him anything. What? That's how much they thought that there was evil inside of her. Yeah. In those She was not allowed moments. to be occupy the same room as anyone else. Oh my gosh. I guess if you reverse this, it's like, yes, I'll take some solo time by myself in a, in a comfortable Yeah, bed. you could certainly turn it into empowerment. Yeah, but, like a positive, I guess. But it's really traumatic to just shun somebody that harshly. Yeah. And to, you know, basically say something that is not their fault is their fault. Yeah. And treat them as such. Yeah. That's brutal. We talked in a previous episode on Islam about how Muhammad was actually pretty revolutionary in ending infanticide and um, advancing women's rights in some small ways and, well, big ways for that region. And one of the things that's really cool about him um, is that in his lifetime, he tried to attack, you know, just address this issue facing women. And so his wife, Khadija, he actually would um, let her come in and sit with him and their followers uh, during her period. So, like, she was allowed to be in the room with, you know, with not just, like, any, not just her husband or any man, but, like, the leader of this faith. She was allowed to be in the room with him. And um, he would receive his prayer mat from her hand. So, you know, in Judaism, they're talking about how you can't, you know, even pass anything to her, your husband. And here, Muhammad's like, I will take that from you, Khadija. Thank you, you know. And I just think that that is really cool. And there's this quote um, where he drank from the same cup as her, and he said, your menstruation is not in your hand. It is not in your cup. And I thought that was really cool. Like, I'm not afraid of your menstruation getting me because it's happening, like, you know. All the time. In your lady parts. It's not happening out here. Yeah. Which I think is really, I think that's really cool. Hmm. Interesting. How very progressive. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it's this huge sort of challenge to other things that people like think and feel about women during, during that time period. So Brooke, Mm -hmm. we have set it up to the middle ages and I'm sure there are people listening that are like, cool. So in the middle ages, it was problematic. (laughs) You know what else was problematic? Bloodletting, you know, like (laughs) leeches. (laughs) So to those people, I say, just wait. I know. Like, let's, let's, where are we at? How do we move along here to, where does this stay? Well, I think we should take a short break. Ah! And we'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> Go get a tampon. For lesson plan ideas and how to teach women's history, go to our website, www.remedialherstory.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think what we're doing is needed, please consider joining our Patreon community. Through Patreon, you can sponsor a podcast with a small donation. Patrons get access to behind-the-scenes information, gear, and bonus episodes. 
But more importantly, patrons are putting their money where their mouth is and making a financial commitment to getting women's history into the K-12 curriculum. We are so grateful to our patrons who sponsored this episode. Our history makers, Jeffrey. Our history heroes, Brooke and Barbara. Our historians, Jamie and Ken. And our allies, Nicole, Mark, Sarah, Leah. Thank you. You guys make this show possible. Okay, Brooke. Everyone got your tampons in? Let's finish this thing. Let's do it. (laughs) Tampons. Sponsor this episode. No, just kidding. Tampax, cotton, the cup. Can we list all the things? Sure. So, um, Brooke, we've been talking about the history of menstruation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about how the word taboo is, and menstruation is literally like the original taboo. Same, same. And um, the word period, which we use most often today to yep. describe this, comes is not introduced um, really until the 1820s, 1822 is okay. the, its, its first. Who, who originated this? I don't know that information. No. Um, but it's used in the English language to describe you know, your courses or whatever. <laughs> this this Every devil time, you say time. Your courses. I just think of like a southerner. Oh, she's having the vapors. She's having the vapors. <laughs> <laughs> so in the 1850s, we see some other like at home remedies where women are pinning cotton and flannel into their bloomers. Um, we see a sanitary apron being invented and a rubber apron with a strip that runs between the legs to prevent blood from getting into a woman's skirts and seats. Um, and this is great, um, but a lot of times it's still like Sounds at horrible. <laughs> Cool, 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 cool. Rubber aprons, got it. Rubber mm-hmm. aprons, yes. Um, but a lot of times it's, these are still like at-home remedies. And so, right, it's so whatever it's you have access to. Fascinating because like they're inventing a cotton gin, right? But like not, <laughs> not something that will treat like everyday stuff. And I feel like this is a huge pattern in women's history where it's like, because women don't sit at the seat that's designing stuff, yeah. they're not architects, they're not in these positions to... Well, imagine the person that even invented the two things that you mentioned. It probably was a real feat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we're going to make this thing for women, and yeah. it's for their periods. And then, like, but we're not going to tell them about it. We're just going to slowly start to hand it out to a couple people. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> keep it quiet. Exactly. <laughs> Like, what? Can you imagine some guy walking into his factory? Today's the day people were making pads. <laughs> we're going to do it. It's for the women. Yeah. And then, like, here, here. <laughs> What's really interesting, um, flashing back a little bit to the colonial era, is that women in that time period didn't wear underpants. And I think about... So they were just, like, free-balling, like, free-bleeding? Well, I don't know. And so um, they they know that later settlers used rags, and we see here in the 1850s that they're sort of, like, furnishing some interesting situations down there. 
Um, I love how they invented the corset to keep their waist slim prior to inventing pads. Pads, yeah. Something they could actually use. Right. By all means, lift my breasts, (laughs) but do not clean my blood. (laughs) Like, what? What is happening? So the, what's what's fascinating about this is in early American history, we've got lots of diaries, we've got manuals from midwives, um, and none of them mention this type of stuff, which is interesting. And so that I think just adds a layer to like how taboo this subject is. Like is women even aren't privately even talking to each other. Yeah, it it's it really is like so. so. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they don't know it happens every month. They're like, maybe it'll go away. Maybe, maybe. If we just stop talking about it, maybe it just won't happen anymore. Yeah. Uh, this author, Gail Collins in America's Woman, uh, talks about how child molestation is mentioned more frequently Ew. than this in women's diaries. Um, Hannah Clark and a friend were stopped in the street by an Oliver Warner who asked them, when will the moon change? And this was a hint that he knew they were having their periods, which is really interesting. Um, and he said, I believe you have circles round your eyes. I believe in, I believe it runs. Their minister, the famous Jonathan Edwards decided in his Uh, This sort of behavior was the result of young men reading midwifery books for titillation and launched into a campaign against the practice. Oh, cool, cool. Let's just get rid of those things that are helpful to women. Yeah, and helpful to men, like, like, even though this boy is, like, clearly, like, joking with these girls on the street, at the same time, like, okay, cool, so he understands, like, something's going on in their life. That's awesome. So what's interesting about this is we have this record going on, um, but we also have an example of a, a preacher sort of using this as a reason for men not to know about this stuff. And like further, you know, this is that same, you know, t- very separate spheres, further yeah. dividing, dividing the genders. Um, And again, she talks here about how because colonial women were pregnant so frequently um, they and had such terrible diets, they probably didn't actually have a lot of menstruation and bleeding, which is really interesting. So free bleeding wasn't really a thing. Yeah, or it was probably like very rare, very like um, not very rare, but like less frequent. So it was sort of like, oh, shoot, okay, this is happening uh, temporary yeah. situation let's figure find that a sock. out yeah find a sock <laughs> sure <laughs> i don't know just like let it run down your leg into your shoe it's the plan susan <laughs> susan why Ask, is it susan what did she do to you i don't know she's just not karen okay that's a good point yeah we need to throw another name under the bus <laughs> In uh, 1896, the first commercially available pad hits the market. Oh, who invented that? Um, this was from Lister's Towels. And Smart men. They just didn't want to ruin their towels anymore. <laughs> exactly. But here's the crazy thing. 
because of the social stigma and taboo, this business venture fails completely. And what? they go bankrupt because women wouldn't buy it. Because, I mean, think about it. This is still stigma. And keep in mind, this is only like just over 100 years ago today. And women will not buy it because they don't want to be seen buying it. They don't. It's like, uh, it's so taboo. It's so uncomfortable that they won't even purchase this product that would Ugh. be probably really great for them. So... In 1919, we see more, you know, in the Middle Ages, we see some of that sort of, like, religious dogma about the devil and, like, being sure, inside sure, sure. these women, need to ostracize them, blah, blah, blah. In 1919, um, a professor published an article that basically claimed that there was something called menotoxins in women's menstrual blood. And these menotoxins would are basically like poison, and um, and so he's he's publishing this scientific article in a journal that's being read by other scientists, and that's as as recently as 1919. So um, it's crazy when you think about that because it's taking some of this like outdated bloodletting ideas, like bloodletting yeah. is this, you know, the reason they bloodlet people, George Washington was bloodlet, is to let out some the of the virus. like, the virus or the whatever. And obviously it's pseudoscience, it's not real, it wouldn't really work, probably right. kill you, but, um, but the same, did. <laughs> those same fears that people had about blood and the reason they would let it out through bloodletting, uh, you know, they took those same philosophies and they applied them to women's men menstrual flow so it's toxic it's poisonous it's you know whatever and so he's taking these like very outdated and and pseudoscientific theories and he's applying it in a in a recent scholarly article and he's inventing a word called menotoxins which is just gross and i don't know like it's just it's fascinating that that was allowed sounds like uh fake science yeah um, World War One nurses invent a modern pad, and um, they use cellulose and acrylic cotton, and create some sort of like bandage to soak up menstrual blood. And um, Kotex gets wind of this, and they end up um, producing it for commercial use. And one of the really interesting things, and I love pointing this out to my students, is that typically when there's a big invention in history, somebody gets credit for having that invention. This is true of the telephone, the telegraph, yeah. electricity. However, someone However, else had the lots idea. Lots of other people had the idea around the same time. And one person may have had, like, what may have been more famous or had right. the better, or like, had, had, means. The, had means or got, got the patent that, you know, whatever. But the same is true here. And I think that could be a really interesting connection for students to make is like understanding that typically there is sort of this like catalyst for change. And I think that it is not surprising that in 1920, the year that women get the, 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 the suffrage amendment is passing and it will be ratified within the yep. next year. So women's rights is like the topic but of the time. This is also the era that women start to take a lot of charge over their sexual reproductive health. Like there's, there's a lot going on for women at that moment in time. Yeah. Like flat, I just imagine flappers. flappers, like women owning businesses for the first time, taking yep. up different, you know, 
opportunities, yep. and jobs, you know, there's there's a lot going on. Yeah, women are working outside of the home a little bit more than they were before. Um, and so it is not surprising that all of those sort of like environmental factors led to the real need for that. Like we don't right. have, like women can't just do makeshift stuff anymore. And women are having less babies. Women are, t- you're right, they are taking control of that. Birth control contraceptives won't be legal in every state for many decades still. No, but there's like at that time period, there's the things that women could get access to that would help them. Yeah you know, potentially not have a child. Yep. So um, Johnson & Johnson in this same year also come up with their own sort of version of of this, like, commercially available pad. And um, so anybody can buy these box pads and get them, you know, at a commercial box store in – you know, yep. semi discretion. And I think that's, I think that's a really, there's a lot of really interesting things. Tampons also go on the market and they're, but they're applicator free, which oh for our, for our non menstruating listeners, that is very uncomfortable. <laughs> and real hard, real hard to use. Yeah. Really hard to use. And I just like pity the young person that has to deal with that because it's, uncomfortable um and they're very leaky a lot of a lot of these early products leak a lot and you know obviously like anybody who's ever watched tv all the commercials are advertising how they don't leak and like with blue goo yeah why is it blue i don't know So there's like this big um wave of advertising coming through like in the last two years about not using blue goo anymore yeah and like use and it's like thank you it's blood yeah (laughs) if if it's so taboo still that we have to use dish detergent to describe it yeah it's a real problem that you don't support your own products availability to the actual substance that it's needing for like no no don't test it it on actual blood yeah just the blue goo (laughs) just the blue goo Sorry, sidebar. You were saying tampons. Tampons. Oh, my gosh. They invent a menstrual cup in the 30s, which is um, like a rubber cup that goes into the vagina and collects menstrual fluid. And this is actually, it's come, it's used more frequently now because for environmental reasons. Well, environmental and longevity. You can wear them for up to 15 hours. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't like. It doesn't leak and you don't have to change it. So like for people who have jobs. Particularly in the military, it's yeah. one of them that is a heavy user of the cup. Yeah. Um, because if you're on long expeditions, you can't stop to change your pad or your tampon. You just don't have time. Yeah. And it's most sanitary in those environments, too. Leaves no trace. It's all those kind of things. Yeah. So this is interesting. A man named Earl Hass invents the modern tampon. It is cotton, it has an applicator, it has all of those things. And he got the idea from a female friend. And I love that in history, it's a female Female friend. friend. Like, what's her freaking name? Because let's be honest, Susan. he wasn't like... Karen. Right. (laughs) He wasn't like, you know what? You know what? We don't really help you out. 
like, no, she was like, hey, dude. And so what she told him was she was treating her menstruation by using a sponge and like plugging her vagina. And this is in the 1830s. And so he invents this whole thing. And, but the whole thing is like, this is classic, like male dominated society where like he probably got the patent and like, well, yeah, he was able to go forward and get it. And I imagine that she was the person that was giving him the advice on what would work or what wouldn't work. Yeah, exactly. But I also think that that's really cool that a female friend was able to like talk about this with a male friend and like they together were able to invent something. And she probably should have gotten more credit, let's be honest, but that's really cool. Yeah. I'll allow it. You'll allow it. Okay, cool. I'm for it. <laughs> so. Obviously, over the next few decades, we see more and more um, types of tampons that are and pads that are better. They leak less, becoming more available, and we still see that to this day. Even oh, over yeah. the last few years, there are better products coming out. Um, it's not until 1985 that the word period is spoken in a commercial for the first time ever. And it's done by um, Courtney Cox in an ad for Tampax. Get and it, I Courtney. think that's crazy <laughs> that it's not until, I mean, in the 19, like 60s and 70s, you see people like, you know, you still do the like, and we go off to our bedroom and scene, you know, like oh, that's Oh yeah, they sort still of, put their foot on the floor. Yeah. Any two people are laying near beds. Right, I know. Um, but in, but it's not until 1985 that, like we can sort of insinuate sex, but we're we're like it's still like being periods are not being talked about. You know, it's not till 1985 that that's being discussed. This is like way after the female revolution too. It's like of the 1970s. It's so shocking and annoying. Yeah, above all else. But I imagine so. That's a TV commercial. I'm that was a TV hoping commercial. There's ads that talk about periods prior to that. Like, in 1985, prior to that, you had a lot of magazines for women already published. Yeah, yeah. I imagine they talk about periods in those. Yes. They, they, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because it's so... Like, come on. We, we should probably go back and look at... Using the word, though. I think that's the tricky thing, is, like, are they yeah. referring to it in some weird, like... You know, of your moon or whatever the boy said to her before. No, Aunt Flo. Yeah, Aunt Flo, right. Can we just talk about the myths that you were told as a child real quick? Sure. Why don't you tell me yours? Um, that if you go swimming in the ocean, that sharks can smell your menstruation. I, You know what? I heard that, and to this day, every time I swim <laughs> in the ocean, I'm a little bit scared. <laughs> Even like, if I don't have my period, I'm like, maybe they know <laughs> <laughs> there's a lady in the water. <laughs> That's the only one. What's that? There was some movie that was like, bears smell the menstruation. They know. <laughs> they will hunt you down. Oh my gosh. That's a good Anyways. one. But I do remember being, having my period for the first time and being uh, an athlete was a really hard thing. And I don't think that we still talk about that enough, that women are competing 
and what that does to their body when they have a period yeah. and they're trying to compete at top levels. Yeah. Um, I would really love for our listeners to look up Stacy Sims. She oh, is yes. a badass doctor who um, has written a book and her hashtag, and you should definitely check this out, is uh, women are not small men because the advice given to female athletes in terms of what they should be eating, how much they should be lifting, what they should be, you know, how much they should be sleeping, blah, 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 and in terms of recovery is all like basically taking the sports science that we have for male athletes and then just being like, okay, so you're what, like 150 pounds or whatever, you know, whatever you weigh. So yeah. So like, what would we recommend to 150 pound man? Like that's what you should do. And she's like, no, like women have a very unique physiology. You need to be giving them advice like sports science advice that's specific to that women's physiology and for so long and I I don't want to name names here specifically but there were coaches that I've interacted with in my many years of coaching at both the high school and college level in soccer and lacrosse and winning national championships and all of those things um, who were like, oh, you have your period. Okay, take take time off. And literally, the science says the to, opposite. My it husband's literally a gym teacher, and he's opposite. like, actually, physical fitness helps with that. Like whenever yeah, a girl thanks, goes, <laughs> goes into the gym, and they're like, yeah. I, have, I have cramps. He goes, you know what helps that? Running. Exercise. <laughs> Let's go. These and poor actually, girls. That's it's like not, they thought that was the excuse to get out of like gym class or like. I'm having lady problems. He goes, cool, go get a tampon from the nurse and get back to class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good for him. No, because it's it's a very it's a very serious issue and it, it's it's that persistent stigmatization, but it's also the persistent like no knowledge, no research being done into yeah. women's health. And that's problematic. And Stacy Sims is really awesome. She has this book, Roar, that I've been reading, and it's a really great cool. book um, that I want to recommend to everybody if you're interested in the science behind that because what she does is she gets into like the types of things that you need to be eating at different stages in your cycle yep and what would help you at different phases um she recommends like weightlifting especially during your period um and because it's a really good time to be building. Right. Um, she also talks about how at different points in your cycle, you are actually at the, like basically your hormones become very similar to male hormones. And so what's hilarious about the stigma is just that at points you are very male. And oftentimes those are the points where people are like, oh, you're being moody. And it's like, no, no, I'm just like not taking yeah. this. I'm not being like compliant and all the things that you expect of right. me on when I'm, you know, when my hormones are different or whatever it is. Fascinating. Um, so it's it's very fascinating. I would say for somebody like your husband who who works with female athletes regularly, that would be an awesome book to read so that you can better push them to their potential rather than giving them super outdated advice that is right. is not accurate. And I'm sure there are some wis- limit, women that are listening here being like, oh, but I have really bad cramps and blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's actually true. But there Absolutely. are certainly things that could be causing that that might be worth looking into if you haven't already. And the other thing is you never know if you start paying attention to this science that Sims and other doctors are pushing out, you might find that 
if you treat your body better building up to your period it may be different yeah it may be a bit different and I shouldn't say better I just mean appropriately you know yeah because that's the thing is it's not about it's not about being hard on your body like go run you know but it's but it's about like no you can understanding your body more understanding it understanding how it works so when you think about this entire topic and yeah. bring it into a classroom, yeah, get me there. So I think what's really important is it is it is an interesting scientific question. I could see this topic being addressed. I mean, I do think it would be addressed well in a health class. Like sure. maybe outside of a history class would be a good place to yeah. talk about the history of this. Also stop separating boys and girls in health classes. Yeah. Boys should learn about this too. And boys should learn about this for, you know, the reason that you described, which is what if someday like you have to give advice to a friend, but also I think there's something about empathy building and sorry, not a friend, a child, you know, like what if you're but a dad? Also and- just knowing about the species that you are a part of yeah you're humans yeah we're all humans we're all humans everyone should learn about each other's bodies yeah and how they work and the things that you're dealing with and um and I think that that's that's really powerful in a history class I could see this being something that's touched on in terms of as these patents, you know, like we talk about the invention of the light bulb and all of these other things that are revolutionary. Yep. And this facilitates women's life in the workforce. Yep. So that is revolutionary and it's transformative. And I think that that would, you know, like if we can give some other products, really, that's all they are, business right. ventures, if we can give them airtime in a history class. Then why not? Why not do this? Especially if you're doing a unit on women's rights. And, you know, when you end the suffrage unit, you then probably go into all the things that happened once women had the vote. And right. the number of states that began legalizing contraceptives and, and all the things related to that. And and this would just tie really nicely yeah. in into that into that topic as a passing mention. I also think in a world history class, it's really hard to ignore what people believed about women in yeah, when those they were middle ages. And I think that it would be a really cool way to teach about the different ways that women are treated in different cultures by just saying, okay, so when it comes to their periods, how did this culture treat women? And you could take things, I mean, we read passages from Muhammad, from Judaism, and you could take those very passages, and there are more, um, and just say, okay, in this religion, how did they talk about that? And I think that would be really a powerful thing for students to see. And I really like, Brooke, your question that you asked tonight about, well, could this be empowering? You know, she's hanging out in her hut and she's getting privacy and she's getting whatever. And I think that would be a really great question for young girls to ask what you know what would you do in your hut for a week yeah, okay so your your courses come on yeah you get the vapors yeah where do you take them and how do you take your leave yeah yeah um and of course there's the deprivation of food and other things but I think that would be a worthy thing for girls to think about like yep. oh my god that's what people used to think about my sex and you know I think having that historical context, at least for me, makes me feel like, you know what? 
I am going to talk about my period. And when I buy my tampons or my pads or whatever I'm buying, I'm not going to be shy about it. And I'm going to ask my husband to buy them because if there's shame in that I have to bear, he needs to bear it with me, you know? And like, (laughs) I think that that's okay. Well, and I think being moms of boys, there's a level of responsibility we have to educating our own sons about, about periods and what happens there because they're going to interact with women. Yeah. And (laughs) that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. So they need to be aware of what impacts women's lives. Yeah. And they need to know that like that, you know, I know a lot of people who grew up in homes where, you know, when mom or sister or whatever was on their period, it was like, whoa, watch out, you know? (laughs) And it's like, God, that is such an awful leftover stigma from all of like that when you say that watch out I want you to think about the hut and I want you to think about women being deprived of their family and their spouse and food and freedom what are you saying when you say watch out like what does that actually mean or how about instead of that like do you want salt or chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> like, would how you like we, to go for a run? How can we teach people to be more empathetic? Right. More exactly. understanding. Kind. More supportive of one another. Yeah. That's good. Kelsey, this is good. Brooke, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Brooke Sullivan. I'm Kelsey Eckert. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Remedial Her Story, The Other 50%. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts to bring more voices to the conversation. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.